All right. Uh, like Jill said, we're starting a new series today. But before we get going there, uh, I want to celebrate something. For the past about four to five weeks, we as a church have been praying for an event that we had last Sunday. Uh, who was at Family Faith Day last Sunday? Anyone here? Last Sunday out there, it was a great time. Uh, we were praying uh, for 200 people, and what has kind of been our record is we pray for a big number, and then we maybe get three quarters of that, and we still rejoice anyways. But last, uh, last Sunday, uh, we, uh, our security team counted 200 people, and then on top of that, there must have been more than 200 because we ran out of food towards the end. And so just to put out there, we pray for 200, God did more. Amen. Come on, let's give it up for God. Come on. And so over the next few weeks, um, if you invited a friend or you saw someone new at the event, they might start trickling in our doors. We made connection points with them. Um, just be on the lookout for any new families. Uh, I don't want, you know, don't go out there and like get in their face like, hey, I remember you. Uh, but give them a high five, let them know, like, hey, it was awesome to see you guys again. Uh, we had uh, about 10 families uh, that don't uh, know, really have a Christian background or have a church home that wanted to get connected with the Rock Church. Amen. That's really, really good. And so uh, really great time. David laughed. How many of you guys enjoyed David Laughlin on Sunday? That was a blast. Uh, and so we're going to be bringing him back here hopefully in the next year or so, uh, maybe start something towards Christmas time, and it's just going to be a great, great time. And so thank you guys for all the uh, volunteers. You guys were there uh, through the week packing up trucks, packing up trailers. You guys were there early in the morning, and you stayed there till late in the afternoon. So thank you guys. That event doesn't go without faithful volunteers like yourself uh, that can go around and uh, help out with that. And so thank you so much. Uh, so like I mentioned today, we're on a brand new series called Love. Love like Jesus. Everyone say, Love like Jesus. This brand new series. It's actually a mini series. It's about three weeks long. And what we're going to be doing is looking at some very important concepts that were really counterculture in Jesus's day. And, and in fact, if when we take these concepts and as we talk about this over the next few weeks, you'll kind of recognize that this is actually counterculture to today. Not only in the secular culture, but sadly within the Christian culture. It's inside the church. And uh, you guys have heard it from me and from, from my team. Uh, we just want to get back to the basics, amen, of Christianity really how Jesus wanted his church to look like, wanted his, want his church to be. And so if you can go ahead, uh, open your Bibles, <clears throat> excuse me, to Matthew chapter 6, verses 14, as I get a drink here. Um, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. You can grab a free one from the back at the Connection Center. Um, they're also in your message guide notes and on the TV behind me. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. <clears throat> Did anyone catch a bug this last week? Yeah, stay far from me. I got a little bit, and so, but we're going to get through uh, preaching here this morning. You guys can pray for me uh, as we get going here. But Matthew chapter 6, uh, 14 through 15, this is where we're going to start, and uh, we're going to kind of camp there for a little bit. Um, but before we bring that up, I want to kind of talk a little bit about my childhood. Um, I've talked a lot about myself. You guys know that because I uh, might be a little full of myself. Um, you can laugh at that. It's okay. It helps me keep me in check a little bit. Uh, but uh, I had, uh, growing up my childhood, I want to brag a little bit on my mom. Um, now, when I say mom, I mean my uh, stepmom. Well, she adopted me, actually, when I turned 18. Uh, and so I was adopted by my stepmom. Now she is my legal, uh, legal mom. It was awesome. Uh, she, uh, uh, I got adopted, and I had uh, my uh, 18, and it was my adoption cake. And they had... Uh, said Lori adopted um, a six foot two baby weighing about 250 pounds 
And she had like a little adoption baby shower for, for our party. And so it was really cool. And then my younger brother, who I'm blood related to, uh, when he turned 18, he also got adopted. And so uh, I know there's a lot of our families going through the adoption process in here. Adoption is very close to our heart. Um, and adoption is awesome. And so keep going. Uh, but my mom adopted me. Uh, and, uh, but we come from a mixed family. I know if you guys have mixed families. Uh, my mom had a daughter from her first marriage. My dad um, had me and my brother from his first marriage. And then when they got together, they wanted one together. And they actually had twins. Surprise, right? Uh, not for me, more so for my mom and dad. I remember those long nights. And so uh, from a very young age, I can't tell you really, um, I, I think my mom was about maybe 23, 24. Uh, she had five kids, five kids, a mixed family, two of which were not her own, but she was stepping up. And I'll tell you, my mom did an awesome job in raising me. And so I love my mom. Uh, she never quit on us. Uh, we may have looked differently. We have different skin color, but she loved uh, Carl, who's my younger brother and myself, all the same. Um, even when I yelled and screamed and had really displaced anger, uh, her love never changed. It was huge, and it's the reason why I'm able to do the things that uh, I can do today. And so my mom is awesome, um, and she's truly the greatest, which is really hard for me to say that my biological mom was nothing like this. And this is where we're going to kind of get into something uh, on some really hard things. And I really hope we're going to end with a high note um, because I want you to pull a few things here as we talk about forgiveness. Um, my biological mom uh, was very abusive to myself and to my younger brother, who was an infant at that time. And thankfully, uh, I was at a young age where I don't remember most of all that happened. But what I do remember is to know enough that my biological mom has some very deep issues and she needed help big time. Um, my dad filed divorced uh, and left um, uh, my biological mom because she took her abuse on him as well. And as soon as they filed for divorce, uh, my dad fought like he could fought, fight as much, can't cuss in church, but he fought a lot, a lot for the next course of the next three to five years to get custody over myself and my little brother. And those next three to five years were probably the longest years of my life. Um, like I said, I was at a young age. I don't remember a lot. Um, but there are some things I just want to kind of put out there. So when we talk about forgiveness, I really want you to see the, the weightiness of what I'm talking about. Things that my brother and I, things that kids probably sh I should never, never endure. And if you guys have uh, had that past, you know what I'm talking about. Um, or if you're helping rescuing, fostering kids that come from that type of background, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but there was nights where uh, my biological mom would just leave myself and my newborn brother alone at the house in the middle of a city in Virginia. And I would wake up panicking, wondering where mom was at. We lived in, um, I don't think we lived in a very nice place. It was kind of a more of a crime-centered area. And there was a couple memories I do have where I would wake up and notice that mom wasn't in the house. And so I'd go out and I would wander the streets asking for mom. And there was a few times where someone had to call the cops and bring me home to my house. And uh, what's the biggest thing that I still have to wrestle today, it's gotten better, um, but I still had to wrestle, is when I wake up, being an infant, my little brother Carl, he would wake up hungry. And as you guys know, I have newborn infants. Uh, you better feed the baby, right? And, uh, but unfortunately, he wasn't getting the food, so he would just scream and scream and scream for hours and hours. And at a young three to four or five-year-old kid, you don't know what to do, right? And so I, I would have these memories, and actually it leaked into um, to what I would call PTSD, uh, into having our firstborn, Aspen, 
where I cannot handle the cry of a newborn infant. In fact, it would cause a lot of anxiety in me. So much so that every time I heard someone crying, I would dart out of bed. I would wake up in cold sweats. Um, I'd kind of dart straight forward and asking, why isn't Jill taking care of Aspen? And it caused a lot of issues. And thankfully, our God is not only a forgiver, but he's also a healer. Amen. And so through that time, he, he, he's helped me wrestle through that. And now it's, it's like as nothing's happening. Now I'm like, oh, you're survived, kid, right? <laughs> like, you'll be all right. Um, but those were just some of the memories that I, I would have. Um, there was some uh, physical abuse that today, if, uh, um, if you try to give me a high five, I may have a natural flinch. And that's kind of caught up with me a few times. And it's okay to joke about it and stuff like that. But give me a high five. It's probably me on the back a little bit. It's not as bad as it was, but it's just a little bit of a flinch to that due to some physical abuse. And so all this happening, uh, I went through a lot, a lot of counseling. A lot of counseling. And let me start with this. Um, counseling is a godsend. Counseling is very, very important. I do not uh, down counselors. My dad is a professional counselor for the Veteran Affairs, helping out troops that come back that have uh, behavioral disorders and uh, addictions and all those things. And so counseling is very important. I went through a lot of it as a young, angry child. And, but through that counseling, uh, there's a lot of themes that come up, and they try to help you uh, wrestle and give you coping mechanisms to handle the things that I just described. But there's one thing that through counseling and going through church on a regular basis, this topic came up, and it was the topic of forgiveness. Forgiveness. I really began walking with Jesus through my teenage life uh, where I kept coming across scripture and various pastors talking about forgiveness. And this issue of my past always came up. And I can't tell if someone told me, if it was the voice from the Holy Spirit, but someone told me that I needed to forgive my biological mom. And that is hard. Because again, I went through a lot of counseling and it was about my sophomore year where I did an internship at a church in Kansas City for a few months and really connected with God. And God walked me through this process of forgiveness. Really quick, forgiveness is a process. If you're taking notes, you should write that down. Forgiveness is a process. Some of us, uh, it's happened in my life too where you can forgive and forget and you're good to go. But there's a lot of heavy hurts that a lot of us come from. And forgiveness is truly a process. And so I went through this forgiveness process, and I can tell you right now, I had some issues that I had to wrestle with. Uh, I hold no, uh, but today I hold no bitterness towards my biological mom. Uh, I have no residual anger. Uh, I wish I can tell you that we have a restored relationship, um, but we don't, and, and that's okay. Uh, but because as we talk about forgiving, forgiving someone almost has something more to do with you than the person that hurts you. Forgiveness always has something more to do with you than the person who hurts you. Jesus in Matthew 6 is preaching a sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we've looked at this in the last series, and all these sermons are recorded, so you can catch up on our website. Um, but it's a sermon that's packed with a lot of truths, and Jesus doesn't pull any punches with some very hard issues, including this one on forgiveness. And I just want to read what he said. Let's look at what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. He says this. He says, If you forgive those who sin against you... Your heavenly father will forgive you. But then Jesus gives you kind of a right hook because in verse 15 he says, but if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Now that's kind of heavy because forgiveness, he's not talking about, man, if someone stole a dollar out of your wallet, you know, you forgive, like we can forgive that. But, but what happens if you have a past that's similar to like mine? 
where someone that's supposed to be nurturing and loving didn't do that and did quite the opposite. How does forgiveness play in that? And so I, I read this verse when we walked through the season of forgiveness, but this verse really shows the importance on forgiveness. And let's, let's be honest, there are many years where I didn't want to have anything to do with my biological mom. There are times I was so angry and hurt, I said some super nasty stuff about her with cuss words to my dad and my counselor who were trying to help me out. And I was so angry, the last thing I wanted to do was forgive the person who was supposed to love me, hurt me. Didn't want to forgive her. I could care less what would happen to her. How could you forgive someone that could do that to children, right? Anyone here with me, tracking with me this morning? This new series that we're talking about is about being like Jesus, and that includes forgiving like Jesus. When it comes to forgiving like Jesus, Jesus, of course, is the best example. But how many of you guys know I'm not Jesus? And so forgiving can be a little harder than that. And so there's a picture that I want us to look at on the power of forgiveness. It's in Luke chapter 23. Uh, it's a story, it's kind of the Easter story, as many of us know it. Jesus is hanging on the cross between two criminals, and it picks up right here. It says, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Now, when we read this, we kind of have an idea of what this looks like. We have, we've seen the children's books. We've read, uh, we've read the stories. Maybe you went to a passion play. You saw the movie, The Passion. Um, maybe uh, you kind of saw it here and we gave it a descriptive. But there's something interesting here that I want us to see when it comes to imagining Jesus on the cross. You see, I had this picture that when Jesus was hung on the cross, that he was on this massive cross, hung way up high for everyone to see. And I did some studying, and I've learned that's quite the actual opposite of what happened to Jesus. He was nailed to a cross, yes, but actually the cross was only about a foot off the ground where Jesus was hanging on the cross. And the reason is this is because the cross was designed to make a mockery out of the person who was being hung on it. And so, they, so they, the Romans, they designed this horrible uh, execution style where, where they would abuse them and whip them and, and torture them, put them on the cross, and they're only a couple inches off the ground so that everyone around them can get in their face, see eye to eye, and spit on them to mock them, to hit them, to abuse them, to do all of this stuff. And so I'm reading this and I'm studying this and, and, and I see that the crowds are mocking Jesus. They're, they're spitting on him. They're, they're eye to eye. It's almost like if, as if Jesus was on the ground. And so they're eye to eye and they're, and they're yelling at him and people are sarcastically calling him the king of the Jews. One of the criminals beside him said, hey, if you can save others, then why can't you save yourself? In the midst of all of this, as people are in his face, up in his grill, just yelling at him and spitting on him, he says this prayer that is just so iconic and I think we've read it a hundred times, but I, I really hope you get the importance, the essence of this prayer. In Luke 23, 34, it says this, Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Please picture this. This is Jesus, the son of God on the cross. He's having the worst of worst times of betrayal, abuse, pain, being mocked, falsely accused. And Jesus prays this prayer for them. He prays that God will forgive these people because they don't know what they're doing to pray to forgive the people who were hurting them in the present. 
I don't know how many of us have had the audacity to do that. That in the midst of your pain and your abuse, instead of reacting out of anger and confusion and all the normal human emotions that we have, how many of us have just stopped and said, Lord, would you just forgive them? Because I haven't. I've never done that. But I see Jesus doing it right here. And so we're talking about love like Jesus. And one of the things with love like Jesus is we need to learn to forgive like Jesus. And we talk about forgiveness, don't we, as a church? But I don't know if we truly understand the power of forgiveness. So I guess all this sums up to this, uh, to answer this question, how can we forgive like Jesus? And the first step is this, to forgive like Jesus is to pray for those who hurt you. Pray for those who hurt you. Jesus did this on the cross. Luke 6, 28 even goes on and clearly says, he says this, says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Now, it's important, church, because I think most of us, we don't have an issue for praying for those who hurt us, right? I mean, let's just be honest. We don't have an issue praying for those who hurt us. I mean, sometimes we pray like, Lord, I pray the brakes go out of their car. I've done that. Lord, I pray that they would just have a horrible day today. Lord, I pray that you would just do something bad and send bad karma their way and, and kind of go that route. And, and so we don't have an issue to pray. I think more times than not, we actually pray for vengeance on our enemies. But understand this. I even wish that some of this uh, before on people that have hurt me when I've been hurt. But this is not the heart of Jesus. It's very far away from who Jesus is like. Going back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is preaching. He says again, something super controversial. Look what he says. Matthew chapter 5, 43, it says, you heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, this is a jaw-dropping statement. Let me tell you why. The Jews who were listening to this, they have been following the Old Testament law where it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Meaning that if you steal something of mine, I get to steal something of yours. You break a bone in my body, I get a break in bone in your body. You hit me, I have the right to hit you back. And they have been following this law for this years and years and years. And the Romans who were listening to this, they actually had a God named Revenge. And they worshiped this God because they believed in their own taking justice in their own hands. And so Jesus is saying this, and he's saying, hey, do you know what? You actually need to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In a time where it was very much similar to like a Wild West style justice. But Jesus, he's setting the record straight. And he says, instead, you need to love your enemies and pray for those who do you harm. And so I have to ask this question, what do we do when someone hurts us? What do we do when someone betrays us or just devastated you? Or what do you do when your friend betrays you or your boss mistreats you or a parent that left you or the spouse that was unfaithful to you? What do you do? More times than not, I don't think we pray. And that's exactly what Jesus calls us to do. In fact, the thing that catches me, because if you go back in there, he says, bless those who persecute you. Jesus is saying, those who you call your enemies, 
You should be praying blessings over them. Here's the thing, church. When it came to my upbringing, I had two steps of forgiveness that I had to go through. One step I just recently did because I wrote this sermon and realized I was missing on something very big. I forgave my biological mom. And I walked away. And didn't have one more thought to do with her. And it wasn't because of anger. It was just like I did my part, right? I forgave and I'm forgetting. But Jesus clearly says that's not the way to do it. You see, you're supposed to forgive, but you're also supposed to pray blessings for them. Oh, man. You know how hard that is? Like, I, I just wrote this this last Tuesday, and I'm trying to put this in practice right now. That is so hard to do because you're revisiting the person who hurts you. And they're saying, saying, God, I pray that you do something to them. It's more of like, God... Would you bring a blessing to their life today? God, would you show your goodness to her today? Father, would you give her favor today? That is so hard to do. Because what happens is your spirit starts turning over. And your heart that once had hate and resentment is now actually starting to reflect the heart of Jesus and you're wanting to God to do something actually very good in their life. Oh, that's so hard. And this is why, church, when it comes to forgiveness, we can't wait till we get the feeling that we can forgive. If I can be honest, a lot of us will be waiting a very long time to get that feeling to forgive. Jesus could come back and he still won't have the feeling that's why we cannot rely on feelings to help us steer the course of forgiveness. But if we start developing the right attitude by praying for those who have hurt us, that forgiveness process takes place naturally. Now, I said that I forgave my biological mom for what she had done to my brother and I, but I never thought about praying for her. But I would pray because of her. Lord, help me with this issue because my mom did this to me. Lord, I'm, I'm having issues with, with raising my, my, my child because I, I wasn't, I, I'm having this PTSD and anxiety and all those things. Lord, Lord, would you help me? Would you help me with that? But once you start praying for them, praying for God's goodness to be in their life, it's like pulling out a toxic weed that you didn't know you had by the root system. And it's like taking uh, your first breath of fresh air. And here's the thing, church. We're called to do this with everyone who we call our enemy. I mean, this is so key. I was really shown this. I was talking about the internship I had down in Kansas City. Um, they have this huge conference every around January. And I don't remember what year it was, but I went down there with my youth group. And we went to this conference. And uh, it was the time where uh, Saddam Hussein was captured. And uh, they were about to do his trial. And the trial uh, was given to the people of the republic there. And they sentenced him to death by hanging and so we knew that this was happening. This is a, a huge part to our country because uh, a lot of the politics that play in there. But we're in the middle of this worship set. And the guy who hosts the thing comes out and he says, hey, um, a lot of you know uh, Saddam Hussein will be, um, will be sentenced to death tonight. And everyone in the country is rejoicing for this man's death because he has slaughtered thousands. He has hurt a lot of people. And right now, he's getting what he deserves, and people are celebrating 
all over the world. And he, said, and he says this. He says, but that is not the heart of God. And he says, right now, actually, I'd like to take 30 minutes up to the time of his hanging. And I want us to pray for God's goodness to be in his life. I mean, man, that, that, that was an enemy of the state. And here's the thing, I guess we are so focused on revenge and vengeance, and we're so focused on trying to get what is ours, and we forget the very heart of God that says, no, 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 no. The, the people that you call your enemy, you actually need to be on your knees praying for them. Pray that I would intervene in their life. Praying that I would do something good in their life. And you know, I don't know the results of those prayers. I don't know what, what, what Saddam might have gone through. And, and you know, the, the reality is, if he accepted Jesus, he will be in heaven right now. You, know, you can almost hear a pin drop right now. Because that is how forgiving our God is. Let me ask it this way. Have you wished for God's goodness on the lives of your enemy. What we need to know, church, is that our prayer for others may or may not change them, but this is why we teach this, because it will always change you. It will always change you. You cannot wait for a feeling to forgive. We must be on the offense and begin praying for them, asking God to do something good in their life, and watch how your heart changes this is so big my family and i we have uh we, we started we developed values as a family like what's important to us uh, so we can filter kind of our day-to-day -day decisions and seasons of our life and one of the things that came up as a value for our family is as uh we call ourselves team Farrenbrook. i know it's really really cheesy but we'll probably get t-shirts and we're going to do that whole thing and you all gonna have to put up with it and so um but one of the values that we have is as as being a part of team Farrenbrook, we are quick to forgive we're quick to forgive. Maybe almost too quick, says my flesh. But we are very quick to forgive because Jesus always is on the ready to forgive me. And so I think there's a lot of us here this morning, you are carrying a lot of heavy stuff with you because you haven't entered the season of forgiveness. And I'm telling you, it is, it is so freeing, so freeing to begin that forgiving process, to just begin to pray for those who have hurt you. Pray for those who have hurt you. Here's number two, and this is actually my last point. There's only two points today. We pray for those who hurt us, and here's the second one. We forgive as you have been forgiven. Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults, and forgive anyone who offends you. Let me tell you, some of those offended people in today's world, it is the Christian. The most offended person you can meet today is the Christian. Because we're being persecuted right now. I'm not going to neglect that. It's heavy right now. We feel like our rights are being taken away. And so we think we have this right to offense. But I'm telling you, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, that right is taken away. You don't have a right to be offended. In fact, what do you do or what do you do to that person who offended you, who hurt you? Forgive them. You're supposed to forgive them. 
I don't know about you, but I have done many things that should have offended Jesus. I have done some terrible things in my life that should, Jesus should have saw it and turn his back and walk the other way. But every time I come into the presence of God and I, I, I get on my knees and, and, and I pray and there's a part of my flesh that it, it does it every time. It's like, why are you asking for this again? This is like number 1,345. You're asking for forgiveness again, Vaughn? Like, like, like you're wearing God out right now. And we know that's a lie. But every time I go there, Lord, would you forgive me? And I can tell you, and we can know that this is God is faithful because we can read scripture about this, is that God is always on the ready to forgive. Always on the ready to forgive. And because he forgives me freely, so must I forgive freely. How do we forgive? We forgive just as Jesus has forgiven us. Why? Because if you don't forgive freely, then you're holding grudges freely. Really, that's what happens. And so you have to ask yourself, do I want to forgive freely or rather I just, just rather hold on to it, put it in my baggage, and I'll just carry it around for the rest of my life. I'll do it for free. Because that's what you're doing. When you don't forgive freely, you're just carrying those grudges wherever you go. And I don't think there's no one here that says, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. I'd love to carry that grudge for the rest of my life. Holding on to grudge does no good for you. And uh, instead, it, it allows things like resentment and bitterness, ungodly anger to set roots in your life. And they begin with shallow roots where if you can forgive freely, it's easy to pull up. It really is. There's a little bit of pain, but it's easy to pull up. But if you walk around with the stuff in your heart and you don't forgive freely, the roots set in and they get deeper and deeper and deeper. And pretty soon, those roots of bitterness and resentment actually become the character that you represent. I think we know people like this, at least I do. They're just known for their bitterness. They're just known for their anger. They're just known for their temperament. You know how that started? More times than not, counselors will tell you this, is because there's something in their life that they haven't given up yet. And more times than it's not, it's forgiveness. It's forgiveness. Forgiveness is hard to do, but unforgiveness is harmful to your soul, church. Say this one more time. Forgiveness, it is hard to do, but unforgiveness is harmful to your soul. Let me show you this quote. You can throw it up on the TV. By Anne Lamont, a lot of us have heard this. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It's crazy, right? When you don't forgive, you're actually hurting yourself. So what do we need to do? You just need to take it to God. That's, that's the Christian way of saying things, right? You just take it to God. Let me tell you, I, and it's not just a one-time thing, at least in my case, I have taken it to God several thousand times. Because it's a process. And let me tell you, if you're still better 
I mean, if you're at summer with the holidays and that person's around and you're just, you're just miserable for the holidays, it just ruins your whole day or you can't stand the thought of them or, or you think of them and your face turns red. I mean, for my, my wife, uh, we've been married for almost 10 years now and she knows me well enough um, that if I have resentment or anger towards someone and I don't deal with it, like it consumes my thoughts where I get in a really quiet day. This might make me look crazy, but I'm just gonna let you, <laughs> let you know. Uh, I, get this, I get really, really quiet and I have imaginary arguments in my head. I do. And if I really don't handle it, you'll start to see my lips moving. And there's been times on the drive where my wife, if we're going through a rough season, she knows it. But she'll look at me and she's like, who are you arguing with? And it's because I haven't taken to God. It's setting root in my heart. And it's actually coming out physically. And that's my sign to say, hey, you need to take it to God because it's getting bad. What are your signs? Do they ruin your whole day? If they're down an aisle in Walmart, you have to skip that aisle and go to the next one? Do you leave a church because of them? Don't allow your kids to play on the same sports team as them? Is it kind of like the Hatfield and McCoy syndrome? See, if you're going through that, you haven't let it go yet. If there's anything that Disney had right, it was the song, Let It Go. Because that's exactly what you need to do. Just give it up, give it to God, and walk through that scene of forgiveness. It's hard, but it is oh so healthy for you. We all know the harm of forgiveness, of unforgiveness. It can drive us crazy, live an unproductive life, take on bad habits, and it can mess up our future that God has for us. That can happen if you choose to not forgive someone. And that's why forgiveness, it won't change your past. What's done is done. I'm not gonna gonna, uh, throw that away. I understand that. But forgiveness can always change your future. It can always get you back on track. You see, I forgave my biological mom. And recently I started praying for her, that God would bless her. I've reached out on uh, Facebook a long time ago and you know, sadly she still denies everything, you know, which really hurts because it's like, you know, I'm trying to, we're trying to restore here, but it's, you guys understand that. But I still pray blessings for her. And I share that not to get, you know, applauses or amens or anything like that, but I share that to encourage you who has hurt you in your life that you need to actually pray good things in their life. Who's that? When I started praying for good things for my mom, Jesus took really a burden away from me. And because of all this forgiving and praying, I believe Jesus has truly made me a better parent a better spouse, uh, giving me opportunities to minister to other adults and children and teens who have similar hurts. And church, when we forgive like Jesus, this is really what happens. We set the prisoner free, and more times than not, you will realize that you are in fact the prisoner. You hold yourself up in that cell because you don't want to forgive, or you think you're protecting yourself, but you're denying yourself the freedom of God. So this is what I want to do. If you want to bow your heads and close your eyes.